to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. Well, we are going to be um, looking at this idea of um, train us for eternity that we've been looking at in this series, and then spending this week and last week on this idea of Sabbath rest. A lot of confusion in the church about that idea, a lot of uh, questions that people have about those things. But we want to um, look back at last week, what we saw is that main idea, um, and that idea that um, Sabbath rest meant learning to rest and love and enjoy God and his kingdom while on this earth, and that prepares us for eternity. So, so for the Israelites, God gives them the Sabbath. Um, just as a rule to keep, no. But for them to pause, to stop, to cease working, and, and to look back at the past week to see what God has provided. And the bigger picture along with that, remember, he always wanted them to think through, I am the God who redeemed you out of the land of Egypt. I'm the God who delivered you out of the land of Egypt. And so this idea of a rescuer, a redeemer, you move forward to the New Testament. Now he's brought the Messiah. He's brought uh, Jesus, and he's our clear, uh, fully God-in-the-flesh redeemer. The same picture there. I want you to pause and rest, to remember to look back, to remember I've brought you out of slavery to sin. I'm the redeemer. Same idea. So in pausing and remembering, we, we begin to rest. We can cease from striving. So we saw that last week, and that leads us to resting and loving God and maybe rejoicing and maybe an opening to a deeper worship. So this week, we're going to turn that idea of what we've learned about Sabbath rest, and it's all pointed specifically in the one person and work of Jesus to see um, now we understand what Sabbath rest would look like, now we find all of that in, in Christ, in his person and his work. Um, and when I talk about that person and work, I've tried to lay that out. So that's just kind of some theological thinking. Of his person is him coming in flesh as human form, humbling himself, that Philippians 2 idea. But also it's his teaching, the body of work that he did, his teaching that we have in the Gospels, um, the way he treated people, his life of complete 100% obedience, never sinning. So that's his person. And then his work speaks specifically of the cross work, the work of atonement. So the, the, the life of Jesus, his personhood, holiness, purity, righteousness that's imputed to us, then his work on the cross, atonement, forgiveness of sins, propitiation. And so seeing this week that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Um, now, you can imagine what that would be like for the Jews, and we're going to see that in a little bit. We're going to go and, and ch- look, look at uh, Luke chapter 6 and look at that. So um, one of the things that we, we, we started with, with this whole idea, was a couple of weeks of uh, being aware, paying attention to yourself, knowing yourself and the doctrine. Am I um, compromising in sinful areas, okay with sin, and never leaving time for God to convict me or to confess sin? And we just go on and on and on and on. And, and sadly, it is a place in America where a lot of times churches want to just stay away from talking about sin. We've seen that. 
Um, but then even in our personal lives, our holy, our, is, is holiness something that we're trying to live up to? So watch yourself. Pay attention to yourself. Know if there are these clear, overt sins that you're choosing to do, but also be aware of blind spots. So watch yourself and the doctrine. How are you applying that? And so as we begin to do that, now what, what better place to discover those things if you would slow down and pause and rest and learn how to take Sabbath rest? And so um, we're going to look at what that looks like. Um, if Jesus is our Sabbath rest, then what does that mean? Because there's lots of questions. So the Old Testament uh, Jews, Israel, um, they would take a Saturday and they would they would apply this all these um, rules and lists, and we're going to see some of those in a second um, to this one day where they set aside um, for not only worship, that was their worship day, remember, and then also it was for them a time for um, not not doing any types of work and ceasing from all these things. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that. What does that apply to us in the church age? Are, are we supposed to, have, on Sunday, um, not travel more than three quarters of a mile? Because that was the rule for Sabbath then. And so um, all those ideas, what, what does the Sabbath look like? If Jesus is our Sabbath, then, then what does that look like when we apply it? Um, so as we saw that, God's intent on the Sabbath, we saw that idea of resting in Him. Um, in Sabbath rest, the whole idea was if you were to be a person, so even daily, if you were a person to do that, if you would set aside time and do that, do we realize the end goal of that for God is not you keeping a rule? The end goal in that is not to see who's the best of the Christians and his top 10 list, who's, who's more disciplined, who's better at that. No, it, it's people who actually just go to the deep level of understanding, I get God himself. I get the creator of the universe for, for how, how long do you want him? How long do you want to sit before the creator of the universe? Now, now in taking that first step, I will say for a lot of people, it, it's awkward. Anyone just have a hard time getting in their car and, and not turning on the radio or not turning and now, you know, everyone does uh, podcasts and all kinds of things, books, uh, audio books and all kinds of things. And so just sitting in silence, sometimes that's hard for us. Our, our natural rhythm in America at this point is not about first gear or sitting still. It, it's fifth gear. Even on vacation sometimes, people are in fifth gear, right? Even when people are um, thinking it's a Saturday and it's a day off, they're in fifth gear. We don't, we don't have a, kind of a rhythm of life that God wanted us to have that. And he wanted us to get him in that, not just to see who could keep the rules. So the whole idea that we get God himself um, as much as him, as as much of him as you would want. Um, so we we got to get out of that thinking that it's not just a prohibition. God, we got to give up a whole day. Are we supposed to give up several hours on this day and miss out on all the fun on Sunday afternoon? It's great weather. Uh, we could be doing so much. We could be cleaning the car. We could be do, doing extra work. We could be cleaning the house. We could be. And so, if we're not careful, we begin to see this God's prohibiting us and limiting us from what would be good for us. In fact, he's going, no, 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 this would be good for you, for you to sit in my presence for a while. And so I would just encourage you to think through that. What does that look like? Um, we're going to be taking some time next week to look at that, what that looks like in, in practicing Sabbath rest. Um, um, we talked last week about that those two areas. There, there are several books written about this, but this is Midrash and the Mishnah. And so Midrash and Mishnah was, were interpretations added onto the Bible. So um, those, those uh, 
spiritual leaders at their time would take God's word. So the first five books of the, the law, the first five books of the Bible written by Moses, um, and they would take that and um, they would um, then interpret and then add application points. And now that become God's law also. So do you see what's happening there? God's word is not strict enough. God's word is not helpful enough for godliness. Let me give you some rules on what you should wear, what you should eat, how we interpret this and all, and they went way beyond what the scriptures. And remember, we brought up some of those. Um, so, so here are some of those extra ones because we're going to be talking about um, this idea of Jesus and his disciples today. We're going to see in the scriptures and the gospel of Jesus with his disciples going through a grain field. Here, here's some extra rules that were added on to. And the idea, this is all just in this idea of Sabbath, okay? All these extra rules. So one was about reaping. So you know what reaping is after a plant's grown or fruit's grown? Reaping is just when you're harvesting it and you're, 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 you're pulling it from um, the ground. So it includes any cutting or plucking or grabbing stuff. So it could be any kind of grain. It could be any kind of uh, fruit, any kind of vegetable. Sabbath, you can't do that. Um, Fruit that, that has fallen on the ground, you couldn't even pick that up. Like you're like, hey, you know, the, I wouldn't be really grabbing it from the plant, but hey, there's some, is this a loophole? Can I, like, they even went beyond that. They were like, no, oh, no, no, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to break God's law. You want to be holy? Don't you even pick up the ones laying on the ground. So, I mean, we get that, right? Uh, and so harvesting, gathering anything that was in piles even, fruit or something that was, that was placed in basket also fun, falls under this heading. Threshing. So this is this idea where food is separated from its natural container. So if you had sunflower seeds and you were, you know, biting the sunflower seed, breaking it open and chewing the seed on the inside, that, that's the idea of threshing. Taking grain, squeezing it in your hand and getting the, the seed inside that to eat and breaking that husk, that was considered threshing. Um, then winnowing. Um, this is when food is separated um, from its uh, inedible portion, so other types of things. So if it was corn, taking that husk and tearing it down, that's winnowing. So all of those things are added to the law. Was God concerned about that? Not at all. What was God's concern about? Was it that kind of list, or was he going, you're missing me. <laughs> like, you're doing all those things, and you're missing the one who created the beauty of corn, who created the beauty of food, who created the beauty of being nourished. You're missing me. I wanted you to look and pause and think, oh, this provision is beautiful from God. And so remember, 40 years of man in the wilderness was one of the things that they had first initially come out and seen that with. And so that's what Jesus is dealing with in this situation. So think through this. Jesus was always confronting those people in the Gospels. Um, the ones who had this extra rule-keeping that was beyond what the Scriptures were saying. Now, Jesus always wants us to obey the law, right? God wants us in obedience, in holiness, in righteousness. It's when we go and we start adding to the Bible, it's when we get out of line. And so why would that be such a big deal? And why was Jesus always ticked off at the Pharisees? He seemed to be really, really harsh to them, but here comes a harlot or a, a lady of the night or a person in complete, just utter uh, ridiculous sin. And he was so graceful and merciful with them. And like, you know, go and sin no more. That's it. Like, don't you need someone to follow them up? Like, are, are we sure that that, that was enough? Did you, did you give them enough? But then with the Pharisees, man, he just cuts right to the heart on them. And so why is that? Because 
in their added rules, they change the gospel of grace. Think, think through what's happening there. Here he's coming saying that he has done everything for you. God has done everything for you, and you've changed it into how much can you do to earn merit before God. So it's destroying the idea of grace. And so we, we, we don't drop our holiness standard. We don't drop obedience and say, oh, it's just grace, so it doesn't matter what we do. Jesus was never doing that. But there's a lot of stories. I, I know people you know, in the seminary that I went to, I know, I know churches we've been a part of. You've been around people like this. I, I know a lot of people that, that they would see Jesus, and they would, to be honest, they would, they would admit it, but they see the way Jesus dealt with people, and they'd probably walk, like, go over to the side, like, did you see what he did? He's letting them get away with sin. Is Jesus lowering the standard? Is Jesus not concerned about holiness anymore? So you, that's repeated in there. And so we've got to get this understanding of the intent of the law, the intent of the command, okay? And so, so there's always this deeper idea. So um, let's read this in, in Jesus. Let's dive off into this section in, in Luke chapter 6 where Jesus is reframing the Sabbath. He's redefining the idea of Sabbath. So uh, Luke chapter 6, and there's actually two stories right in a row. I think the same thing happens in Matthew, um, but it's the same um, situation where um, Luke has... Two stories to bring out. So he's really, really hitting hard. I'm going to put two stories together to show you how Jesus deals with this idea of Sabbath. What's the intent of Sabbath rest? And now that Jesus is on the earth, man, how do we deal with Sabbath and Jesus? So um, Luke chapter 6, 1 through 5 here. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So Jesus answered them, have you not read what David, what he did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him? Notice now, who's the hero in the story for all Jews? David. Here's Jesus, God in the flesh. They're literally rebuking, correcting, criticizing Jesus. What does Jesus go to? Hey, you guys don't respect me, but hey, let's talk about David. So notice what he does there. He goes to the story of David, beautiful picture. How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence. Very serious stuff, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And then he said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. So let's pray. Oh, Father, would you help us to see the beauty of spending time alone in your presence? Would you help us to see the depth and the glory of an individual not deserving anything but wrath and death and separation, but now brought back into the family, adopted, forgiven, reconciled, redeemed, and now able to sit in your presence, not because of how good we are, not because of how moral we are, but because of the grace that you've granted us, that we could sit in your presence, all because of the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ, that he is now our Sabbath. Would you help us to appreciate you in a different light, a new perspective on Sabbath rest? Not a list of rules that adds to our stress, but an enjoyment in you, to find you as our end goal. In your name we pray, amen. So uh, we see this, this picture here of Jesus um, 
going through the grain fields. His disciples are with him. They're plucking the grain. So we just read, and I just read to you guys from the, the Mishnah, what were they doing? They were breaking the Sabbath repeatedly, right? And so these, these um, Pharisees call them on it. You know, why are you doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Um, notice they accuse Jesus of this also. They don't say uh, just the disciples. They say, hey, why are you doing this? And, and Jesus is doing something that, that the religious stuffy crowd, the ones who went beyond the law, he's doing something that they say we would proudly never partake of that. And yet here is God himself. So is Jesus sinning? A lot of people have a hard time. Is that sinful for Jesus to partake in this? Is he breaking the Sabbath? Luke and Matthew both point out that it, this is specifically on the Sabbath that when he's doing this. Um, and then notice also that he brings in this idea at the end, the Son of Man. The Son of Man. So that is a reference, a direct reference for uh, back in Daniel where it is talking about the Ancient of Days. If you remember, we went through Daniel a few months ago. And so the Ancient of Days in Daniel chapter 7, he actually says he's going to give glory and authority over to one like the Son of Man. So they were all thinking, that's Messiah, that's Messiah, that's Messiah. And in this story, Jesus says to these guys, hey, the Son of Man is here. The Sabbath was for him. The Sabbath was created for me, not me for the Sabbath. And so that is like him equating himself with God, him going, I'm the son of man. So Luke, I think, is uh, 26 times where Luke uh, specifically refers to Jesus, uh, or, or not Luke, Luke is quoting Jesus, where Jesus himself refers to himself as the son of man, equating himself with the son of God, which just was blasphemy to those people. We know he ends up trying to, uh, they try to end up killing him. So, so, so notice what they're doing here. Anyone wonder why these Pharisees, what they're doing? They're literally walking behind them, just watching at a distance, just following, just watching, um, watching every move, just, just trying to catch them, breaking one of their extended rules, just, just trying to do anything. Um, it's, it, if you've noticed in, in some theological circles and theological blog space, um, uh, all these places, that, that's kind of what's been going on uh, for a number of years to where it, it is this case that uh, they're not just going to just trash the extreme crazy whatevers or the extreme charismatics or um, the, these cultish things. Now it's kind of like, well, hey, let, let's pick somebody in our crowd. Let's pick somebody that, that we all respect and, and let's begin to find, let's all really focus. And hey, why is he doing that? Why are they doing that? Why do they do that in a service? Why are they singing that song? Hey, did you know this about them? There's a person on staff that, do you, do you see what happens? Feels really good to be above people spiritually. Feels really good to call out little things that we've caught and analyzed about people and dissected, watching, dissecting, um, analyzing every tiny thing. Even things that the Bible says are, are yes and good and, and partake of this to try to point out someone breaking an interpretation. So what's wrong with walking through a grain field and plucking some of the grain and, and smashing it open with your hands and eating some of the grain? So we looked at this in the mission in the Midrash. So every single time that they were doing this, um, they were picking. So this is this idea of reaping and harvesting and carrying. So they're picking it, reaping, harvesting, and carrying. 
You've broken it in three or four ways right there. Um, they're rubbing it in their fingers to, to break it open. This is consi- considered threshing and winnowing. Then they ate it, which is considered food preparation. Um, with every handful, they're, they're breaking four or five or six laws, multiple disciples, and obviously, what are you doing on the Sabbath? Um, the problem was it was their own law. It was not God's law. It was not the intention of the Sabbath. So Jesus, in this, is going to the internal part of the law. So we've got to think through this when we read some Old Testament commands and New Testament commands. Jesus uses the story of their hero, David. And so this story here is where where God had rejected Saul as king, and David is going to be set up as the new king. Saul was trying to kill David, so he was running for his life. And so if you remember, David took his crew of guys, and they went into the temple, and they go in, and then as Abimelech goes, and, and he realizes as he goes in there, they don't have any food because they're on the run. They're going to be killed. And so um, he gives them the bread of the presence. So there's this, remember the specific thing, the bread of the presence. Um, that was not to be touched. There's a whole section. I thought, I'm going to read just a touch of this. This is in Leviticus 24, so way, way back, explaining how serious and how, how, um, um, how separated we should be when we're dealing with the bread of the presence in, in Leviticus. You shall take fine flour and bake 12 loaves from it. Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf, and you shall set them in two piles. Six in a pile on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. So very serious. And it shall be for Aaron his, and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place since it is for him and a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings. A perpetual is due. So what's the purpose and the intent of the bread of the presence? So Jesus goes in this story to, you guys remember David. And you remember when David even ate the bread of the presence. Why does he go there? What was the point of the bread of the presence? It was a symbol of, from the people, uh, it, from God's idea, was going to, you're going to have this and you're going to have to make up this bread and you're going to give it to the priests as an offering, right? And so there's this kind of holy bread prepared in this holy consecrated way. It's a shadow. And so we have to be able to remember that this is, there's nothing specifically holy about that. It's a shadow of the true substance that would come. Remember in the New Testament, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Remember, repeatedly he was telling the people, take, take my flesh, eat of it when he does the Lord's Supper. So we have these beautiful pictures. Those were a shadow to revere the service of the Lord and to serve the Lord's anointed. So the bread of the presence was meant to point their thoughts to God's end goal. So what was the whole point of the bread of the presence? It should remind you, if you would pause and think through the bread of the presence, you shouldn't be here in the first place. But yet, I have tabernacled with you. The whole point of the bread of the presence is you get to go before a priest who brings forgiveness of sins that they, they thought was in bulls and goats. It's actually in Jesus later on. And he's going, the bread of the presence represents God's presence among you. What's the idea of Sabbath? God's presence with us. That's what he wants, for us to set aside time with him. We get God himself in that. So, um, the bread of the presence is just God's full presence. So here in this story, here is 
God himself in the flesh, Jesus, these guys are saying, you missed it, Jesus. You're not keeping the rules of Sabbath. And Jesus is going, the whole Sabbath points to me. You remember David? What he did, was that not wrong? And what did they do? They ate the bread of the presence. You're not getting it. The whole point of that was, I am the presence. What, what, what the bread of the presence was pointing to was me. is fulfilled in me. And, and they just, they completely missed it. So um, notice what he's saying. He's telling them a story, God in their midst, showing them how weak and shallow the, the shadow substance the shadow stuff, the idea of Sabbath and the idea of the bread of the presence is compared to God himself in their presence. And they're missing it. So Jesus is saying, in, in your stance of righteousness, you're rebuking God face to face, being the very one who created and designed the Sabbath to get you to see and enjoy and rest in me, to cease from your striving, to cease from your self-righteous works, but you miss me in trying to dissect and criticize this, what we're doing, breaking your interpretation and your own practical application. You've cherished and worshiped your tainted version of the shadow, and you've missed God himself. And how many times in our Christianity do we do the same thing? We, where we, we, we have these things that we've elevated, and, and the whole reason that those things were started, practices, were, were to get us in the presence of God and to enjoy and love Him. And yet we miss God and loving Him, and we elevate some of our practices sometimes. So um, he's trying to get them to see this. Again, in our day, people would probably say, man, it seems like Jesus is just breaking the law of holiness. He's letting people sin and saying, oh, it doesn't really matter. Him and his disciples are sinning by doing these things. They're breaking these laws, these godly pursuits, and he's just lowering the standard. And that's not at all what's going on. Um, the point was um, it was proper to violate a ceremonial law when God's anointed servants were doing God's business on the Sabbath. So if that's true, then surely the very anointed one of God should be able to break a, a man-made law while they were doing God's business on the Sabbath. So this idea of compassion and mercy, the very heart of God, is over this external list that had been added by man. And so the Pharisees did not understand the internal purpose. Um, how many Christians and, and leaders today do not understand the spiritual intent behind the law? Um, so, so, so this idea, we've, we've missed the heart, the intent of the law, to, to keep the external obedience of the law. So there's several things like that, and that, that gets really into the idea of the Sabbath for um, New Testament believers. Um, Jesus ends the story by saying, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. It was created and set apart so you would think on me. You would think about me. That's what Sabbath was for. It was created for me. Um, so um, those who were listening to that story, they had to be, as this story was told, and I'm sure it spread quickly. And those original people, even the disciples, had to be going, who is this guy that's equating himself with the Son of Man who is saying that he is now the Sabbath? That's just a crazy thought for them. So, and we, again, we, we think that's, we, we read over, we, we know the end of the story, but here, here's, here's the intent of Jesus in this, these two stories, and we're not going to go into the second one. The Sabbath, this idea of Jesus is now our Sabbath rest. So what does this look like as a Christian, a New Testament believer? 
Um, do we have to set a whole side, day aside? Do we not do any work? Do we not do any of these things? Are, are these other little rules that we, we don't know about, maybe in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, that we're supposed to keep? The Sabbath was to lead us to Jesus, not a specific day or a specific time. So you could practice Sabbath on Monday if you want to. You could practice it on Tuesday. It's not, in the New Testament, a specific 24-hour period. What have we learned about Sabbath? Taking some time to pause and to rest, to, to look back and remember what God has done and to rest. Some bad things happen, but I'm resting in you. I'm thankful for what you've done, what you've provided for me. And then even as I look ahead to the next week, I, I can feel some stress. I can feel some anxiety about what's about to happen. What are we supposed to do? I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to rest in you. You always provide. Even when it's not the way I think that you're going to, I'm resting in you. And beyond life circumstances, I'm resting in the fact that if I were hit by a car today, I'm with you eternally. That's a beautiful resting place. So that's what we get to do with Jesus. The spiritual intent of pausing, remembering, then renewal comes and rejoicing. Um, in the New Testament, we went through 2 Corinthians. Remember 2 Corinthians 3.18. Um, so all of us with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Remember we talked about, that was talking about focusing our thoughts on Christ. Now with unveiled face, unlike Old Testament Israel, now unveiled face, we are beholding. And in that you are transformed from, from one degree of grace and glory to another. And in that um, we're beholding and being transformed. If you're not beholding, you're not being transformed. How many people walk into churches every week distracted, Frustrated, worried about life, worried about their kids, worried about situation. And sing the songs. I didn't really like two of those three. God, yeah, this went too long. And, and, and that's Christianity to them. And sure, they're not getting drunk like their neighbors. They're, they're not sleeping around like their coworkers. They're, they're not committing adultery. They're not stealing from their company. But man, is that what Christianity is? It's It's dry. And yet Jesus is going, if you're not beholding and focusing and pausing and resting, gazing at me, what kind of transformation can happen? Only your own external obedience. And what are you driven to if you're not pausing and resting? You're driven to you getting better and better and better and tighter and better at your little list of rules. And he's blowing this apart for the Pharisees, changing their perspective on this. So Jesus is our Sabbath rest. The double substitution, his person, his life and obedience provides the holy righteous standard that we could not achieve, but he achieved for us. So you have that imputed righteousness. In resting in Christ, that's where you get your imputed righteousness. Again, a practical level of that, you're being tempted to do something, you want something, you're, you're, you're being tempted to want something, and you feel like, I just can't, I can't stay away from this. You probably can't. Hey, Jesus, you were obedient. Can, can I rest in you right now? You have obedience that, that I need on loan. You, right now, I'm really angry at this person. And I'm starting to feel angry. Hey, you have imputed love towards them. You have gentleness. You have kindness that I don't have. It's part of you. It's imputed to me. I really need it. I'm not strong enough to do that. That's not a practical, hourly, day-by-day, person-to-person situation of imputed righteousness. The church hasn't done a really good job of doing that. It's more kind of like, be nice to people. Just be nice. Just be nice. Just be nice. Um, and sure, that, 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 that's okay, but what's the intent of that is 
to rely on and rest in the imputed righteousness of Christ. That's just the first part. The other part of his double substitution is his death and atonement. So you get not only his imputed righteousness, but you get forgiveness of sins. You're no longer tied to sin where when temptation comes, it just grabs you and you, you have no power over it. No, no, that's broken. He, he died on the cross, freed you from that, and resurrected God's stamp of approval saying, that appease my wrath. He's no longer, she's no longer under the control of sin. That's huge. So resting in that, Jesus, I'm facing temptation right now. I keep falling in. Hey, I, I want to rest in the picture. I want to pause and rest and remember what you did. I promise you, if you do that, I don't know how, if you begin to do those little things during the day, um, that, that, that somehow the next thing you know, four hours pass, you didn't jump off into the temptation. You didn't have to sin. There was grace beforehand instead of grace afterwards and the shame and the guilt, but there was grace beforehand, imputed righteousness, and now you rested in Christ and you put your thoughts on him, gazing, beholding him, four hours past you. I, did, I didn't decide to do that. Wow. And he starts to celebrate and get prideful probably. But anyway, that, that's what's imputed righteousness can, can, can work for that. And, and the double substitution of Christ is death and propitiation. Jesus is now the one-time sacrifice for sins. He is the holy altar. Jesus is the true tabernacle, providing God with us as he was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is our high priest, no longer required to present sin offerings to a human, no longer required to go in as many of our Catholic friends would go into a priest and have to confess their sins. We don't have to do that through a priest anymore. We have direct access that the veil was torn at the cross. We have to, uh, opportunity to enter that, that throne of grace. So Jesus provides our imputed righteousness that positionally places us as close to God as we would ever be. So this is something I would say particularly in our circles. Sometimes if you're coming from a, a strong Bible Baptist or a Bible church background or a strong assembly of God that was really big on doctrine and teaching, here's something that I think is helpful for us. Um, you're never going to get closer than where Jesus puts you in position. Your, your position in, in, in Christ will never improve. And what, what that means is no works, no efforts, no lists, no rules, no merits could ever earn a closer place to God. The given, the given is you should be living in holiness. Why? Because you've been made new. It's not you do these things so you can be made new. You already are a new creation. And in that, I'm the prettiest present, the prettiest bow tie, the prettiest thing that God's ever going to love. I can't, I can't uh, put on more makeup or, or improve the list. And I'm like, man, Jesus, you're really helpful. You got me like 97%, but look at me now. God, God is really pleased. And in our circle sometimes, we have people, again, head, heart, feet, who think by the head, my head knowledge, God's really impressed by me how much I know compared to those people. Uh, by my, my heart, I'm such a loving, graceful Christian. God must love me a lot more. Or my feet, how, much, how many times I'm sharing the gospel, all the service projects I'm doing, all the, the, reach, uh, the outreach that I'm doing. God must really love me. So in our circles, we have to think, that no, no striving. Should you still do acts of mercy? Yes, that's obedience to Christ. He was saying, hey, when you, you should be looking for those people. He told parables and parables after looking for opportunities to, to show gospel deed and give gospel word in that. So that's the given, but we're not going to get anywhere closer to God in that. Now, that's not saying that if you decide to go into five huge major sins, you're going to feel a separation. You, you should feel discipline from the Holy Spirit. You should feel uh, discipline from the Lord. In that You should feel conviction of shame. I mean, 
conviction of sin, you should feel guilt. Another thing people misrepresent in this whole last 10 years of, 15 years of gospel hyphen everything is that no more guilt and shame. Well, that, that's if you're living in the righteousness of Christ and holiness. You go and cheat on your wife, you should feel guilty. You go and steal from your thing, you go and start lying to your parents, you start cheating on whatever, you should feel guilty and you should feel shame. That, that is the grace of God that he's convicting you, drawing you back to where this is, where the given is obedience and holiness. And so um, just don't have a, there, there's a confusion there in this gospel hyphen language. So think through this with the early church, putting this all together. Think through the early church. They had it a limit. So here's the Gentiles are being saved, right? So you had the Jews and messages going to them first. Jesus always went to them first. Paul always goes to them first. Now you're adding Gentiles. And now we're scratching our head like, hey, they're not dressed like us. Um, they're, not, they're not keeping all our laws. So what do you do when people are getting saved, being added to the church, but they're not part of Israel? They're not Jewish. So the dilemma that the church had, um, how much of their Jewish laws would Gentiles need to abide by? How many of the Jewish laws? So how, how do we know? The Old Testament law. Hey, we've got all Moses' law, first five books. Then we've got a lot of commands through the Old Testament. But also we've got the Mishnah. We've got um, Midrash. Which ones do the Gentiles have to apply to their life to truly be a Christian? That's a tough thing. I mean, you don't work that out in a two-hour meeting. Um, which laws from the Torah and the rest of the Old Testament would both Jews and Gentiles need to heed and obey? Is there something about the intent of the command that might have been fulfilled in Christ, his person and work? So people get mixed up, confused, and think that um, there's no definite answer, that's just kind of this subjective, ambiguous thing, but, um, but it, it's not a subjective, ambiguous thing. There's, uh, the, the Jewish law is broken down into three areas. So this kind of gives us categories to think through, like if we're thinking through which one of those laws in the Old Testament, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, um, how do we know which ones apply to the church? Well, three types of law. There's the moral law, the ceremonial law, and the judicial or the civil law. So the moral law is, is seen as the spiritual intent of the command of God. Um, if we do not see behind the command to the spiritual intent of what God wanted to be transformative on sinful hearts, then we, then we make it about the specifics of the external part. Um, Jesus was always confronting this, just like what we saw with the Sabbath. You've missed the Sabbath. You've missed the point of the Sabbath. I'm, I'm God in the flesh right here, and you're rebuking me. Like something's off here. Uh, you're, you're sticking to lists and you've missed it. That was not the point of the step. You should be enjoying me. Why are these guys enjoying and loving me? Why, why go to these towns with these people loving and enjoying me? Because I give them forgiveness of sins and you're rejecting that. And so that was the, the, the moral intent. The ceremonial law, that's all those specific commands, steps, procedures that we read in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. So um, these are more on how to have right standing before God, all those feasts, festivals, dietary laws, clothing laws, regulations on is, uh, interactions with non-Israelites. Again, we miss the spiritual intent behind the strict procedure that they performed. Those steps were often the shadow of the substance to come in Christ. And so that, that may help you to go like, oh, so some of those Old Testament laws that we don't have to worry about. Uh, there, there's big ones that are that are... I could go into, and it just causes all kinds of theological debates. But um, think through sacrifice lamb. Do we have to have a sacrifice lamb anymore? We had one. Um, the altar, we have one. Um, blood of the atonement, blood of bulls and goats. Um, circumcision, 
Man, that was a big one for the church, right? Remember, remember Acts 15, they had to have the Jerusalem council to decide on these things. Should, should these Gentiles be circumcised? Hey, why is Peter eating with all the Gentiles? But when his boys come up, the Jews come up from a different town, he leaves that table and is like, I wasn't with them. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. You, you've missed it. You're confusing the gospel, Peter. You, you can't do that. It's okay for you to eat with the Gentiles, but eat with the Gentiles in front of them. Have your convictions about that, but just know that it's not bad. You can eat anything, but just know that um, you, you can't keep switching this. It's going to confuse the gospel. They're going to think that, oh, you can't eat these certain things. Um, careful strictness, emphasizing reverence, obedience, the tent of meeting, the temple, the covenants, all those things. Those were shadows found in the true substance of Christ. So listen to Colossians 2. There's not a slide for this, but this is Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass... Uh, judgment on you in questions of food or drink or in regard to festivals or a new moon or a Sabbath. Big one. Sabbath's a big one. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so he's, he's pointing that if you're going to meditate on something, if you're going to be obedient to something, be obedient to Christ. It's not those external things from the Old Testament law. So um, those are all categories, the judicial law, the civil law, those crazy things. If you've, if you've ever read the part where, um, hey, what happens when you have an ox and your neighbor is over and they didn't have good fences then and your neighbor's over doing something and your ox gores him and tramples him and, and bludgeons him and he's dead now, what do you owe his family? Like, you know, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they, you know, they had to get specific in some things. How, how does that apply in the New Testament now? How do we do those things? And so that, that gets difficult, doesn't it? And so, oh, okay, that was part of their judicial civil law where they were a nation state under God as king, and that's not applied to Christianity in the new church age, right? So that was a ceremonial law, or a civil law. So those categories were not distinguished by God. He didn't have a breakdown of those things, but they were later added as categories to help us distinguish the church from Israel. Um, so I hope that's helpful. Um, so in closing... Um, I would just have you think through Sabbath rest each week. Um, I would I would encourage you. We are uh, first of all, we are still supposed to keep a Sabbath. Now, now again, so now what does that look like? Does that mean the Old Testament one day? Does that mean a certain amount of hours? I would say that you can not only have a Sabbath rest each week, but I would encourage you to think through. We're going to talk about this next week. This idea of daily Sabbaths. Um, little times where you're breaking apart, I call them renewal and rest. So you may get up and you may be good and disciplined at quiet time and you get in the first two or three hours. So if you're a young person, that might be you're getting situations and man, you're getting all kinds of temptations on all kinds of, hey, break apart. Go, go and break apart. Renew and rest. Go and take two or three minutes alone. Two or three minutes just to pause and like, well, I'm going to pause right now in the middle of the day. I'm, I'm going to think back on what you've done in my place, God. And I want to be thankful and I want to rejoice in that. Would you continue? I'm beholding you. Would you transform me? I don't have to fall in that temptation. And you walk out, and it's fine. You have a disciplined, quiet time. Two hours later, you're at work, and some bad news comes. Some people, you heard some stuff that they said, some coworkers, some family members, some bad stuff comes. Pause, rest, renewal and rest. And if you, be, if you do that four times a day, at the end of the day, who do you think that you're giving, who do you think you're a little, a little more closer to? Who do you think you're a little more thankful to? Who do you feel like that you're a little more intimate with? Who gets worship and praise? You and your ability? Or God, at the end of the day, like um, C.J. Mahaney says, man, 
pause and ascribe glory to God. Hey, Father, this day, here's what, here are the things. And nine o'clock happened this morning and it got bad. And some worse news come at 11. And some worse news come at, at two. And then three, four, and five were okay. But man, then five o'clock, we got so busy and I, I lost my temper about this. But God, thank you for this. Day. I ascribe glory to you. And I confess those were sins in those areas. Thank you that you met me in that. You see, see the difference in that? That's transformative. That's a whole group of people learning to rest in the Lord. And those are daily little Sabbaths. Renewal and rest is what I just call. And so in the idea of the, uh, if, I, if I have this good two-hour quiet time in the morning, I won't sin during the day. It just, it just never worked for me. I won't be tempted as bad. It's never worked for me. Temptation still comes in all kinds of ways. And so I have to pause at that point and go, I'm not strong enough from 7 a.m., not strong enough from 6 a.m. I, I need you right now or I will fall into this. And maybe y'all are just better than me. Maybe that's because of my past. But I'm just saying, this has worked for me, this idea of renewal and rest throughout the day. Um, you have to get creative with it. Um, so thinking through that, um, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And, and in that, not a rule, it's this deep relationship of love. And so um, that may help you many times a day to pause and think of him. Would, would you want your kids four or five times a day pausing and thinking about the glory of Christ and what he did on the cross. And are they still going to sin and fail? Yeah, because you do. We all do, right? But what would that be like if we, we had a generation that was paused, learning to pause and rest? And so the things that are missing from the church are conviction of sin, repentance, confession. We just don't do that very well. And this is a time of purposeful um, setting aside time for that. Now, as we talk about this, as Brad comes back up, let me ask you, um, is this idea of rest really, really scary and difficult for you? Some people just, just know, some people just like, they hear it and they're like, there is no way. Um, do you internally pride yourself in how much you want to accomplish and how much you can accomplish? So it's, it's great. I, I hope you kill it in, in your career. I hope that you go on and you're successful in all those things unless it becomes an idol. And a lot of us don't have people that we can actually share that I think this is becoming an idol. We all want to do well. We want to earn well. We want to um, live good, holy Christian lives. We cross the line when I begin to have spiritual pride because I'm better in judging others or I, I'm just driven by just my own ability. Driven, driven, driven. Um, I, I think being driven is a godly gift. It can also cross over into idolatry. Is there internally this, this pride in yourself? Do you internally pride yourself in how hard you work at measuring up, how presentable you appear among others, how right you are on things? Again, our circles, sometimes our churches have been the ones who everyone has, there's this conformity to a certain image. The wives all learn this is what the kids should be like. The wives all learn that this is what she should be like. The husbands all learn this is what the, better fa the family better be like. And so there's this extreme strictness. And, and so man, you, can you imagine? Hey, pause. Come to me. All who are weary from all the weight of that, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's, it, it, you're okay. People think your kids are horrible. If they're not doing overt sins that you're not correcting them on, don't worry about what people judge you about. You, you, you don't have as much as other people and everyone around you is killing it. You, you have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Cancer today, car wreck today, or 85 dying in your sleep, 
you're resting in him. People's opinion, people's um, judgments of you don't matter. We're resting in him. Parents, churches that you've been a part of, all the steeped rules that they've put on, doesn't, I, I'm okay. And so for some of the, you, this message of Sabbath rest, not just the little application of it, but that idea is really, really difficult. So man, confess that to God. I don't know why my heart is so stressed and so worried and so heavy laden with this stuff. It'd be really scary. Um, so and another thing is, if it's scary for you, the idea of resting in Christ and not your own control. So a lot of us have a lot of control. And we, we may not show it real outwardly, but we have a desire for control, control, control. The way everything looks, it would be really scary if you saw how little you actually had in control. It would terrify you if you knew the grace that, that's just carrying you along all the time. So um, if you've had any of those concerns about rest. If when we talk about rest, that's just like, oh gosh, this is just, I'm just not driven that way. What's wrong with going and learning to sit in his presence? What's wrong with going and pausing and remembering and thinking through and giving him glory for what he's done? So I'm going to close in prayer. You can go to the Lord on those things. And um, if, you, if you need to spend some time just in that, as Brad does this last song, um, just spend some time. If that brought conviction, if you're a person that goes, man, that is exactly what I'd love rest for. That's what I do in my devotional time. I am in love with God. Rejoice in that, that you're ahead of the game. A lot of people really struggle with that. If you're enjoying God in that, just know that that's a beautiful thing. So um, I give this time to you for the Holy Spirit to come bring conviction, confession, um, repentance, also rejoicing and renewal. So um, I hope next week as we begin to apply some of those practical applications, you can see some more of that. Father, we thank you for... Um, just you, that, that in rest we get you. Uh, we, we really can't even imagine, being from an American culture, what heaven is going to be like. So as we say, train us for eternity, God. Would you begin to rewire us? Would you begin to remove things that maybe have been put into us and taught to us that is, is all on our external appearance, all on our external, ab uh, um, external ability? when heaven is going to be rejoicing in you. And there's going to be work there. There's going to be food. There's going to be um, beauty. There's going to be wonderful things. But, but heaven is heaven because of you. Eternal life is you. So we, we wanted to learn about Sabbath rest, resting in the work that Christ has done, not our own striving, not our own perfections, not our own abilities. We rest in you. Facing temptation, we want to learn to rest in you. Living in holiness and righteousness, we want to learn to rest in the imputed righteousness of Christ. Thank you that, that, that we don't come to the end of the, the, the Bible and have a whole list of a hundred things that we now need to add to our life, but that we can gaze at the beauty of what you've done for us in our place. Thank you that we can come to you who, who knows that we're weary and heavy laden. So I pray that you would break us free from some of those things, Lord, and let us enjoy you in that. In your name we pray, amen.